Either we're having some technical difficulties or a barge is floating in somewhere. I don't know which, but it's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. I know that a lot of you were here yesterday for the memorial service for Mary Young. Uh, our sister Mary passed away uh, last Monday afternoon. And uh, it was a, a fitting time to say goodbye to her and to honor her life and... and uh, and to share some time together. I also want to remind you, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, we, we're having a children's workshop, children's ministry workshop, Saturday morning about 9.30, I think, is the registration. Got a, a couple coming down from Tallahassee, a couple who happen to be good friends of mine. I know this couple very well. They love the Lord, and they love kids, and their passion is putting the two together. And they're going to share some thoughts and ideas and some motivation things that uh, it's going to bless you. Whether you have kids or not, if you're interested at all in children and the ministry that goes on here with kids, you need to be making plans to be here next Saturday morning at uh, 9.30. You'll be blessed. Last week, speaking of blessed, last week we began a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I said that it was the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Jesus takes three chapters. He didn't know they were chapters. But, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus sits down on a mountainside and begins talking to people who have assembled in front of him. And he's just sharing his heart. He's just telling them things that he wants them to know and, and some things that I think he wants us to know. And this morning, we're going to look at what is undoubtedly the most famous section of the most famous sermon ever preached. Last week, we introduced the sermon series, we introduced the Sermon on the Mount by beginning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we went to the end of chapter 7. We started there. I promised it would make sense. I think it still does. I said last week that a good speaker has a strong opening and a really strong closing. And we saw last week Jesus had a really strong closing. He's ended with a story that really challenges and motivates us. And what we're going to find out today is Jesus also has a really strong opening. He gave these people a reason to sit up and pay attention. Jesus begins with a section that we know as the Beatitudes. And while it's true that the Sermon on the Mount is maybe the most famous sermon ever preached, the fact remains that there's still a lot of people that don't know very much about the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, let me share with you something that's a little bit, little bit scary. Gallup did a poll not too long ago, and they asked tens of thousands of, of Americans some questions, and some of those had a spiritual focus to them. One of the questions was, who preached the Sermon on the Mount? And given a list of options, one of which was Jesus, the majority of Americans responded, 54% believed the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Over half of the Americans responded thought that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it gets a little bit scarier than that. A significant number of those responding, over 25%, believe that it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was preached from on top of a horse. I didn't even know Billy Graham rode a horse. So even though we think we know the Sermon on the Mount, I will promise you, as we go through this series, there's going to be things that we're going to talk about 
that are going to surprise you. And there's things that Jesus is going to talk about that, that is going to be very challenging. Now, I mentioned last week that our, our focus during this series is not just to know more. Our focus is not just to get smarter. We don't want to just get smarter. We want to get better. We want to do more. We talked a little bit last week about that knowing-doing gap. And Jesus is going to bring this up over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if all we do is learn things for knowledges, for the, for the sake of knowledge, I'm not sure we're accomplishing very much. And that's certainly true with God's Word. Now, you know, I hope you know me well enough to know I'm a pretty big fan of the Bible. I love the book. I love God's Word. But if all we do is study it for the sake of knowledge, Jesus says, that's a problem. You know, when you first began to drive, as you were getting ready to take your driver's test, you were given a book. You were given the Florida Driver's Handbook. And you probably studied that book. And then later on, you're driving, and maybe a policeman pulls you over because you're going too fast, or you run a red light or something. And he walks up to your window, and you roll down your window and say, Excuse me, sir, before you say anything, I want you to know, I love the book. The Florida Driver's Handbook. I've read the book. In fact, I read the book every night before I go to bed. I've memorized sections of the book. I tell people how much I love the book. In my heart, I was only doing 45. You think a policeman's going to be impressed by that? I'll tell you, they will not. That's not going to impress them. Because all that police officer is concerned with is, what are you doing? So, knowing is important. But if you don't do what you know to do, you're not impressing anyone. You're not bringing glory to God either. You know, Jesus taught to change lives. The purpose for Jesus' teaching was to change lives. And as he sits down to, to give this sermon, this, this uh, talk on a mountainside, he's changing lives. And kind of an odd thing happens as Jesus is speaking. What you find is nobody's taking notes when Jesus talks, about the sermon, talks on the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody's raising their hand and asking questions. Now, there's no fill-in-the-blank handed out for people to, to fill in. There's no tape recorder going. Why? Because when you hear something, when you see something, when you experience something that changes your life, you remember it. You just do. Those of you who are a little bit older than me, I bet that you can still tell us where you were when you first heard that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I was alive then, but not old enough to remember anything. For my generation, I can tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing at 8.46 on a Tuesday morning, September 11, 2001. I was dropping my son off at middle school over here at Burnett. Heard on the radio that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. I came here to this building. I went up to the teen room because there was a television there. And I sat and I watched the, the news of, of that event. Some of the women from the Tuesday morning Bible class came up and joined me. And we sat there for a couple hours and, and we watched as that whole thing unfolded. And I've never forgotten it. And I'm sure I never will forget it. Because when you see something... When you hear something that changes everything, you remember it. You just do. And so, again, 
You've got to understand what Jesus is doing here. And, and we talked about it last week, and it's going to come up over and over again in the next several weeks. Jesus is trying to give these people who are sitting listening to him, he's trying to give them a kingdom focus. He's trying to share with them what life in the kingdom is going to look like. And so this morning, I want to share with you what might be more context than text. We talk about the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes. You've heard dozens of sermons on the Beatitudes. You've sat through a lot of classes on the Beatitudes, the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If we were to go verse by verse, you could preach that sermon. Probably most of you have memorized the Beatitudes at one point in your life. But if you're able to step back and really get a sense of what's going on in the hearts and the minds of the people who were sitting listening to Jesus that day, and if you get a sense of what's going on in the heart and the mind of Jesus as he's talking that day, this section of Scripture, the Beatitudes, I think becomes so much more beautiful and so much more powerful as well. And you kind of got to go back to the Old Testament to set this up. Isaiah is a prophet that talked a lot about what was to come and what the children of God could expect. And Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What does Isaiah say is coming? Isaiah says good news is coming. The gospel is coming. It's good news. What's the good news? Your God reigns. The good news is there is a realm where everything that God wants to happen, happens. Isaiah says this is real. How beautiful on the mountains will be the feet of the one who comes to tell us good news. The good news that God reigns. And then a couple chapters later, Isaiah is going to share some more prophecy concerning what this is going to look like. And Isaiah says, one day, someone's going to come. And here's what he's going to say. It's in chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. By the way, spoiler alert, this is Jesus. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, and to announce that the captives will be released, prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn the time of the Lord's favor has come. Who's bringing the good news? It's the Lord's anointed. It's the Messiah, it's Christ, it's Jesus. How am I so sure that Isaiah was talking about Jesus? Because Jesus said he's talking about me. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry is in his hometown of Nazareth. He's at the synagogue and he's, he's doing some teaching. Luke records it for us. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he, being Jesus, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, Jesus has handed the book of Isaiah. And he unrolls it and he begins reading this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, 
handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, this scripture has come true today before your very eyes. Jesus tells those people, Isaiah was talking about me. I am the Lord's anointed. I am the Messiah. I am the one bringing the good news. Well, who's he bringing the good news to? Again, it's kind of an odd bunch. The poor, the captive, the blind, the downtrodden. Jesus said, I've been appointed by God to bring good news to those who mourn, to those who grieve. Now, the good news isn't that they're mourning, and the good news isn't that they're grieving. The good news is the gospel. The good news is the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming, and you get to be a part of it. The good news is those who are poor, those who are heartbroken, those who mourn, those who have been on the outside looking in. You know, kind of like the little grimy street kid who has his face pressed up against the glass looking into the restaurant at the, the rich couple that's sitting down to the fine meal and thinking, that could never be me. I would never be able to have something like that. Jesus is saying, no, no, it is you. This is for you. You're invited. You're included. What is happening? It's for you. So Jesus begins his ministry. And he sees people who are desperately hurting. And he helps them. And he sees people who are sick. And he heals them. And he sees people who are diseased. And he, he makes them whole. And he sees people who are living without any hope at all. And, and he gives them something to hold on to. Now, who are these people that are on the mountainside that day? Who are the people that are listening to the Sermon on the Mount? Well, I'm sure they're people that would look a whole lot like us today, right? Educated, affluent. Now, I'm sure the, the men there were all wearing suit and ties. I'm sure the women kind of agonized about know what shoes to wear that morning. Their kids were all in the right schools and making great grades. They lived in nice houses, groomed pets, probably all drove hybrid cars. I don't think so. Now, it's really important to understand the subtext of what's going on as Jesus begins preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what's going on around Jesus. In fact, the very last thing that Matthew records before he records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the very end of Matthew chapter 4 is this. News about him spread far beyond the borders of Galilee so that the sick were soon coming to be healed from as far away as Syria. And whatever their illness and pain, or if they were possessed by demons, or were epileptics, or were paralyzed, he healed them all. He healed them all. You have to understand as you read the Sermon on the Mount who it is that Jesus is talking to. This is a pretty motley crew. This wasn't a black tie affair. This wasn't a you know thousand dollar a plate fundraiser. This wasn't some country club setting. Jesus is speaking to some pretty rough people, some people with needs, some people with struggles. 
He was surrounded by the poor and the brokenhearted and those who mourn and those who grieve. People like that have been flocking to Jesus. Why? <laughs> Obvious. He's been helping them. He's been healing them. That's why they're coming. But Jesus wants these people to know, this isn't just me showing off. This isn't some random act of power. This isn't some sideshow act. God's up to something here. Something is beginning. Something is happening. God is doing something. And you're going to be invited to be a part of it. You get to be invited. This is for you. The life that you never thought possible is being offered to you. So he begins preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I mentioned last week when Jesus talked about the kingdom, these people, listen, they were a very kingdom-focused crowd. And to suggest that the kingdom was available to the poor in spirit, that blew them away. Because they were the poor in spirit. Jesus is surrounded by the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, people approach the Beatitudes from all different angles. And I have heard them all my life, and you probably have as well, referred to as the B-attitudes. B-E-attitudes. As if their attitudes are something that we are to cultivate in our lives. You know, uh, things that we are to aspire to be. So I guess I'm supposed to work hard at being poor in spirit. And I guess I'm supposed to work real hard at mourning, because that's the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. And sometimes even though the Beatitudes say blessed, I read them and I feel kind of depressed. And I feel kind of deflated. Because I read them and I think, but I'm not like that. And I'm not sure I could ever be like that. And I'm not really sure I want to be like that. But I don't think Jesus is saying, try real hard to be poor in spirit. And I don't think Jesus is saying, try real hard to mourn. I think he's doing something else here. I don't think Jesus is giving advice. I think he's offering hope. I think he's offering hope, and I think he's also trying to give us a glimpse of what kingdom life looks like. And what life in the kingdom is going to be defined by. And you actually see this a little bit more clearly in Luke chapter 6. Identical situation. Jesus has been healing and delivering, and a, a crowd gathers around, a pretty rough crowd. In Luke chapter 6, the Beatitudes look like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And again, not because it's good to be poor, and not because it's good to be hungry or weepy or disliked, but because the kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is coming, and it's coming through Jesus Christ. Let me suggest to you maybe another way of looking at the Beatitudes. Maybe I'm off base here, but, but I don't think so. Could it be 
But as Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount, as he begins talking about what we know as the Beatitudes, could it be that he was actually speaking to someone specifically? You know, Jesus did this. did it quite often, really. You know, Jesus, again, he taught to change lives. And he, he taught in the moment. And he used what was going on in the moment to share some really powerful truths. Could it be that Jesus is looking into this crowd? And there sits a man who's just helped. Maybe this guy had been demon-possessed, and Jesus healed him. Now, maybe he'd been emotionally tormented, kind of a spiritual zero, never invited to the synagogue, never invited to a prayer meeting. And even though he does nothing to deserve it, Jesus heals him. So maybe Jesus looked at this guy and he says, you want to know who's blessed? I'll tell you who's blessed. This guy's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, the spiritual basket cases, the faith challenged, the religious disasters, because the kingdom is for them. And everybody looks at that guy and says, wow. Nobody ever looked at that guy and said, wow, before. But now they look at this guy and say, wow. And this guy's like, yep, that's me. I am now the poster child, I guess, for the blessed life. And again, the idea that, that one of them could have that blessed life, could be a part of the kingdom, that, that just blows them away. And they're like, who else? Come on, Jesus, keep going. Who else? Who else might be blessed? So maybe Jesus looks at a, a middle-aged woman, a woman who's known nothing but heartache in her life, a woman who, who maybe couldn't have children, which in that society was devastating. Maybe a woman who's lost a husband or a child. A woman who came to Jesus just utterly desperate. Maybe Jesus sees her. And he puts his arm around her and he says, you want to know who else is blessed? Blessed are those who mourn. Not because it's a good thing to mourn, but because the kingdom is coming for those who mourn. And the kingdom is coming for those who have no hope. You watch what happens in the life of this lady. You know, I've heard this verse taught all my life that what Jesus really means is, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And that's, that's good. It's a good thing to mourn over your sin. But that's not what Jesus says. Not here in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And I think what he means is, blessed are those who feel like they've missed out. Blessed are those who have convinced themselves they're never going to have the kind of life that they've always dreamed of having, that they see other people enjoying. They've missed out on that abundant life. And Jesus says, those people are blessed because they're going to be invited into the kingdom. And every one of the Beatitudes involves situations of human needs that leave people feeling hopeless. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The people who have been pushed around. By the way, this is right out of Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, David says the meek will inherit the earth. The meek that David is talking about are the people that are powerless, landless, penniless. The people that, that have no connections. That's who David's talking about. Now fast forward to the Sermon on the Mount. Who's in charge? when Jesus is 
talking on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is in charge, but politically, who's in charge? It's the Romans. The Romans control everything. The people that are listening to Jesus, they don't have any leverage. They don't have any money. They don't, they don't have any connections. They don't have any power. And again, Jesus is not saying, well, you need to be timid. You need to be meek. You need to be unassertive. Not at all. What he's saying is, those of you who have been pushed around, you know what? The kingdom is for you and nobody. Not Rome, not the powerful, not the landowners, not the rich, not the educated. Nobody can keep you out. This is for you. And, and on he goes. No, we won't go through them one by one. You've heard that sermon before. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they don't have any righteousness. No one's asking them to be a deacon or an elder. No one's asking them to, to head up the women's ministry. No one's nominating them for Christian of the Year. They don't have any righteousness. But Jesus says, through me, in the kingdom, you can be righteous. It's available. I don't think that the attitudes are primarily a, a list of instructions on how to be blessed. I don't think that the Beatitudes are saying it's good to be spiritually poor. It's good to mourn. Because you know what? You can be spiritually poor and you can mourn and completely miss Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you miss the blessings that he's talking about. Because those blessings are found in Jesus. He's trying to get these people to realize that the blessings, the good life, the really good life, the life that we all knock ourselves out trying to obtain, it's a kingdom life. It's life in Christ. And no one can shut you out of that. Drew Sherman wrote a, a little book. And he asked the question, what would the Beatitudes sound like if Jesus were to preach them today, in our day, in our time? And I guess you kind of have to start with the question of, well, who are those who feel left out today, in our day, in our time? Who are those who feel that, that they don't measure up? Now, who are those that have been told on the playground or the classroom or the, the work site or the, you know, by our media or our commercials that, that you don't measure up? Because of your genes or because of your decisions, your education or lack thereof, you know, this isn't for you. And he starts out kind of on a, a ridiculous level. Blessed are the geeks. Blessed are the nerds. Blessed are the wimps. Blessed are you when you're overweight or when you have bad complexion. Blessed are those who have no fashion sense. Blessed are the uncoordinated, the ones who are never picked for the team. Blessed are the middle managers. Blessed are the ones who didn't do well in school. This party's for you. You will be royally celebrated at my banquet table. And then he gets a little more serious. Blessed are the anxious. Blessed are the unemployed. Blessed are the divorced. Blessed are the homeless. Blessed are the dropouts and the burnouts and the leftouts. Blessed are the, the chronically angry. Blessed are the mentally ill. Blessed are the HIV positive. Blessed are the parents who have failed. Blessed are the children who have run away. Blessed are the parents who couldn't have children. 
Blessed is the single mom. Blessed is the single dad. Blessed are the failures. Blessed, 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 blessed. Anybody getting a sense of good news yet? Blessed are you who felt because of your, your bad genetics or your health or your circumstances or your bad choices. Because of those things, you feel like you've been cut off forever. The abundant life that Jesus talks about. I think what Jesus is trying to say in the Beatitudes is, you have not missed your chance. Of all those things that stand in your way and of all those reasons that you can come up with where you can never have this life, Jesus is telling us, you have not missed your chance. This is available to everyone. This little section of Scripture that we call the Beatitudes. Again, the people that were listening on the hillside that day, they never forgot them. And again, our purpose is not just to get smarter. Our purpose is to get better. And our purpose is to do more. And this section of Scripture to me is very, very convicting. Because if I'm really honest with myself, and if I'm honest with you, I will tell you that there have been times in my life when I know that I have tacked up a no trespassing sign where Jesus has wanted me to roll out a welcome fact. And I repent of that. And I'm trying to do better with that. But I think Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes that every person, every background, every education level, every culture, every language, everyone is invited into the kingdom. You can have the blessed life that Jesus is talking about. And those blessings are available in the kingdom. And those blessings are available in Christ Jesus. The life that we're really after, the life that we dream about, is a life in Jesus. I think that's what he's beginning with here in the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning, maybe you've been chasing after the wrong good life. Maybe you've been chasing after the wrong things and the, and the wrong goal. And maybe today Jesus is speaking to your heart. And Jesus is saying, no, won't you turn that over to me? No, won't you give that to me? Allow me to bless you. Allow me to give you the kind of life that I know deep down you want, the kind of life that only I can provide. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not in Christ, we would love to talk to you about that. Because that's where that blessed life is found. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. We'd love to make that happen this morning. Maybe you've got questions. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe you just need the prayers of people who love you. To, to say yes to Jesus. And allow Him to bless us like He's promised He will. If as a congregation, as a family, if we can help you in any way, come to the front and we'll do our very best. Let's stand and sing. How do you explain? How do you describe?